0: Chapter 7, Part 3 of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 1, The Bangletizers, Part 3. The Marquis de Pusega, the owner of a considerable estate at Busancy, was one of those who had entered into the subscription for Mesmer. After that individual had quitted France, he retired to Busancy with his brother to try animal magnetism upon his tenants and cure the country people of all manner of diseases. He was a man of great simplicity and much benevolence, and not only magnetized but fed the sick that flocked around him in all the neighborhood and indeed within a circumference of twenty miles he was looked upon as endowed with a power almost divine his great discovery as he called it was made by chance one day he had magnetized his gardener and observing him to fall into a deep sleep it occurred to him that he would address a question to him as he would have done to a natural somnambulist he did so and the man replied with much clearness and precision m de prosaiga was agreeably surprised he continued his experiments and found that in this state of magnetic somnambulism the soul of the sleeper was enlarged and brought into more intimate communication with all nature and more especially with him m de prosaiga he found that all further manipulations were unnecessary that without speaking or making any sign he could convey his will to the patient that he could in fact converse with him soul to soul without the employment of any physical operation whatever. Simultaneously with this marvellous discovery he made another, which reflects equal credit upon his understanding. Like Valentine Greatrax, he found it hard work to magnetise all that came, that he had not even time to take the repose and relaxation which were necessary for his health. In this emergency he hit upon a clever expedient. He heard Mesmer say that he could magnetise bits of wood, why should he not be able to magnetise a whole tree? It was no sooner thought than done. There was a large elm on the village green at Busancy, under which the peasant girls used to dance on festive occasions, and the old men to sit, drinking their vin pays on the fine summer evenings. Monsieur de Pusega proceeded to this tree and magnetised it, by first touching it with his hands, and then retiring a few steps from it. "'all the while directing streams of the magnetic fluid "'from the branches towards the trunk "'and from the trunk towards the root. "'This done, he caused circular seats to be erected round it "'and cords suspended from it in all directions. "'When the patients had seated themselves, "'they twisted the cords round the diseased parts of their bodies "'and held one another firmly by their thumbs "'to form a direct channel of communication "'for the passage of the fluid. "'Monsieur de Pusega now had two hobbies.' the man with the enlarged soul and the magnetic elm the infatuation of himself and his patients cannot be better expressed than in his own words writing to his brother on the seventeenth of may seventeen eighty four he says if you do not come my dear friend you will not see my extraordinary man for his health is now almost quite restored i continue to make use of the happy power for which i am indebted to monsieur mesmer every day i bless his name for I am very useful, and produce many salutary effects on all the sick poor in the neighbourhood. They flock around my tree. There were more than one hundred and thirty of them this morning. It is the best back way possible. Not a leaf of it, but communicates health. All feel, more or less, the good effects of it. You will be delighted to see the charming picture of humanity which this presents. I have only one regret. It is that I cannot touch all who come. But my magnetized man, my intelligence, sets me at ease. He teaches me what conduct I should adopt. According to him, it is not at all necessary that I should touch every one. A look, a gesture, even a wish, is sufficient. And it is one of the most ignorant peasants of the country that teaches me this. When he is in a crisis, I know of nothing more profound, more prudent, more clear-sighted, clairvoyant, than he is. In another letter, describing his first experiment with the magnetic tree, he says, "'Yesterday evening I brought my first patient to it. As soon as I had put the cord round him, he gazed at the tree, and with an air of astonishment which I cannot describe exclaimed, "'What is it that I see there?' His head then sunk down, and he fell into a perfect fit of somnambulism. "'At the end of an hour I took him home to his house again, when I restored him to his senses.' Several men and women came to tell him what he had been doing. He maintained it was not true, that, weak as he was, and scarcely able to walk, it would have been scarcely possible for him to have gone downstairs and walked to the tree. Today I have repeated the experiment on him, and with the same success. I own to you that my head turns round with pleasure to think of the good I do. Madame de Persega, the friends she has with her, my servants, and in fact all who are near me, feel an amazement, mingled with admiration, which cannot be described, but they do not experience the half of my sensations. Without my tree, which gives me rest, and which will give me still more, I should be in a state of agitation, inconsistent, I believe, with my health. I exist too much, if I may be allowed to use the expression. In another letter he discounts still more poetically upon his gardener with the enlarged soul. He says, It is from this simple man, this tall and stout rustic, twenty-three years of age, enfeebled by disease, or rather by sorrow, and therefore the more predisposed to be affected by any great natural agent. It is from this man, I repeat, that I derive instruction and knowledge. When in the magnetic state he is no longer a peasant who can hardly utter a single sentence, he is a being, to describe whom I cannot find a name. I need not speak, I have only to think before him, when he instantly understands and answers me, should anybody come into the room he sees him if I desire it, but not else, and addresses him and says what I wish to say, not indeed exactly as I dictate to him, but as truth requires. When he wants to add more than I deem it prudent strangers should hear, I stop the flow of his ideas, and of his conversation in the middle of a word, and give it quite a different turn. Among other persons attracted to Busancy by the report of these extraordinary occurrences was Monsieur Cloquet, the receiver of finance. His appetite for the marvellous being somewhat insatiable, he readily believed all that was told him by Monsieur de Pusega. He also has left a record of what he saw and what he credited, which throws a still clearer light upon the progress of the delusion. He says that the patients he saw in the magnetic state had an appearance of deep sleep, during which all the physical faculties were suspended to the advantage of the intellectual faculties the eyes of the patient were closed the sense of hearing was abolished and they awoke only at the voice of their magnetizer. if any one touched a patient during a crisis or even the chair on which he was seated said monsieur cloquet it would cause him much pain and suffering and throw him into convulsions during the crisis they possess an extraordinary and supernatural power by which, on touching a patient presenting to them, they can feel what part of his body is diseased, even by merely passing their hand over the clothes. Another singularity was that these sleepers who could thus discover diseases, see into the interior of other men's stomachs, and point out remedies, remembered absolutely nothing after the magnetizers of thought proper to disenchant them. The time that elapsed between their entering the crisis and their coming out of it was obliterated, Not only had the magnetizer the power of making himself heard by the somnambulists, but he could make them follow him by merely pointing his finger at them from a distance, though they had their eyes the whole time completely closed. Such was the animal magnetism under the auspices of the Marquis de Persega. While he was exhibiting these phenomena around his elm-tree, a magnetizer of another class appeared in Lyon, in the person of the Chevalier de Barbaron. This gentleman thought that the effort of Will, without any of the paraphernalia of wands or bacchae, was sufficient to throw patients into the magnetic sleep. He tried it and succeeded. By sitting at the bedside of his patients, and praying that they might be magnetised, they went off into a state very similar to that of the persons who fell under the notice of M. de Prussega. In the course of time a very considerable number of magnetisers, acknowledging Barbarin for their model and called after him barbaranists, appeared in different parts, and were believed to have effected some remarkable cures. In Sweden and Germany, this sect of fanatics increased rapidly, and were called spiritualists, to distinguish them from the followers of M. de Possega, who were called experimentalists. They maintained that all of the effects of animal magnetism, which Mesmer believed to be produced by a magnetic fluid dispersed through nature, were produced by the mere effort of one human soul acting upon another, that when a connection had been established between a magnetizer and his patient, the former could communicate his influence to the latter from any distance, even hundreds of miles, by the will. One of them thus described the blessed state of a magnetic patient. In such a man, animal instinct ascends to the highest degree admissible in the world. The clairvoyant is then a pure animal, without any admixture of matter, His observations are those of a spirit. He is similar to God. His eye penetrates all the secrets of nature. When his attention is fixed on any of the objects of this world, on his disease, his death, his well-beloved, his friends, his relations, his enemies, in spirit he sees them acting. He penetrates into the causes and the consequences of their actions and becomes a physician, a prophet, a divine. Let us now see what progress these mysteries made in England. In the year 1788, Dr. Meneduc, who had been a pupil, first of Mesmer and afterwards of Dessalon, arrived in Bristol and gave public lectures upon magnetism. His success was quite extraordinary. People of rank and fortune hastened from London to Bristol to be magnetised, or to place themselves under his tuition. Dr. George Winter, in his History of Animal Magnetism, gives the following list of them. They amounted to one hundred and twenty-seven, among whom there were one duke, one duchess, one marchioness, two countesses, one earl, one baron, three baronesses, one bishop, five right honourable gentlemen and ladies, two baronets, seven members of parliament, one clergyman, two physicians, seven surgeons, besides ninety-two gentlemen and ladies of respectability. He afterwards established himself in London, where he performed with equal success. He began by publishing proposals to the ladies for the formation of a Hygiene Society. In this paper he vaunted highly the curative effects of animal magnetism, and took great credit to himself for being the first person to introduce it into England, and thus concluded, As this method of cure is not confined to sex or college education, and the fair sex being in general the most sympathizing part of the creation, and most immediately concerned in the health and care of its offspring, I think myself bound in gratitude to you, ladies, for the partiality you have shown me in midwifery, to contribute as far as lies in my power, to render you additionally useful and valuable to the community. With this view I propose forming my Hygiene Society, to be incorporated with that of Paris.' As soon as twenty ladies have given in their names, the day shall be appointed for the first meeting at my house, when they are to pay fifteen guineas, which will include the whole expense. Hannah Moore, in a letter addressed to Horace Walpole in 1788, speaks of the demoniacal mummeries of Dr. Menadoc, and says that he was in a fair way of gaining a hundred thousand pounds by them, as Mesmer had done by his exhibitions in Paris so much curiosity was excited by the subject that about the same time a man named holloway gave a course of lectures on animal magnetism in london at the rate of five guineas for each pupil and realized a considerable fortune Lutherborg the painter and his wife followed the same profitable trade and such was the infatuation of the people to be witnessed of their strange manipulations that at times upwards of three thousand persons crowded around their house at hammersmith unable to gain admission the tickets sold at prices varying from one to three guineas. Lutherborg performed his cures by the touch, after the manner of Valentin Graytrax, and finally pretended to a divine mission. An account of his miracles, as they were called, was published in 1789, entitled A List of New Cures Performed by Mr. and Mrs. de Lothaborg of Hammersmith Terrace, without medicine, by a lover of the Lamb of God, dedicated to His Grace, the Archbishop of Canterbury. The lover of the Lamb of God was a half-crazy old woman, named Mary Pratt, who conceived from Mr. and Mrs. de Lutherburg a veneration which almost prompted her to worship them. She chose for the motto of her pamphlet a verse in the thirteenth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. "'Behold, ye despisers, and wander and perish, for I will work a work in your days which ye shall not believe, though a man declare it unto you.' Attempting to give a religious character to the cures of the painter, she thought a woman was the, the proper person to make them known since the apostle had declared that a man should not be able to conquer the incredulity of the people she stated that from christmas seventeen eighty eight to july seventeen eighty nine de Lutherbourg and his wife had cured two thousand people having been made proper recipients to receive divine manuductions which heavenly and divine influx coming from the radix God his divine majesty had most graciously bestowed upon them to diffuse healing to all be they deaf dumb blind lame or halt in her dedication to the archbishop of canterbury she implored him to compose a new form of prayer to be used in all churches and chapels that nothing might impede this inestimable gift from having its due course she further entreated all the magistrates and men of authority in the land to wait on mr and mrs de lutherborg to consult with them on the immediate erection of a large hospital with the pool of bethesda attached to it all the magnetizers were scandalized at the preposterous jabber of this old woman And lutherborg appears to have left london to avoid her continuing however in conjunction with his wife the fantastic tricks which had turned the brain of this poor fanatic and deluded many others who pretended to more sense than she had From this period until 1798, magnetism excited little or no attention in England. An attempt to revive the belief in it was made in that year, but it was in the shape of mineral rather than of animal magnetism. One Benjamin Douglas Perkins, an American, practising as a surgeon in Leicester Square, invented and took out a patent for the celebrated metallic tractors. He pretended that these tractors, which were two small pieces of metal strongly magnetised, something resembling the steel plates which were first brought into notice by father hell would cure gout rheumatism palsy and in fact almost every disease the human frame was subject to if implied externally to the afflicted part and moved about gently touching the surface only the most wonderful stories soon obtained general circulation and the press groaned with pamphlets all vaunting the curative effects of the tractors which were sold at five guineas that pair "'Perkins gained money rapidly. Gouty subjects forgot their pains in the presence of this new remedy, "'the rheumatism fled at its approach, "'and the toothache, which is often cured by the mere sight of a dentist, "'vanished before Perkins and his marvellous steel plates. "'The benevolent society of friends, of whose body he was a member, "'warmly patronised the invention.' desirous that the poor who could not afford to pay Mr. Perkins five guineas or even five shillings for his tractors should also share in the benefits of that sublime discovery they subscribed a large sum and built an hospital called the Perkinean Institution in which all comers might be magnetized free of cost in the course of a few months they were in very general use and their lucky inventor in possession of five thousand pounds Dr. Haygarth an eminent physician at Bath "'recollecting the influence of imagination in the cure of disease, "'hit upon an expedient to try the real value of the tractors. "'Perkins' cures were too well established to be doubted, "'and Dr. Haygarth, without gainsaying them, "'quietly, but in the face of numerous witnesses, "'exposed the delusion under which people laboured with respect to the curative medium. "'He suggested to Dr. Falconer that they should make wooden tractors, "'paint them to resemble the steel ones, and see if the very same effects would not be produced. Five patients were chosen from the hospital in Bath upon whom to operate. Four of them suffered severely from chronic rheumatism in the ankle, knee, wrist and hip, and the fifth had been afflicted for several months with the gout. On the day appointed for the experiments, Dr. Haygarth and his friends assembled at the hospital, and with much solemnity brought forth the fictitious tractors. Four out of the five patients said their pains were immediately relieved, and three of them said that they were not only relieved, but very much benefited. One felt his knee warmer, and said he could walk across the room. He tried and succeeded, although on the previous day he had not been able to stir. The gouty man felt his pains diminish rapidly, and was quite easy for nine hours, until he went to bed when the twitching began again. On the following day the real tractors were applied to all the patients when they described their symptoms in nearly the same terms to make still more sure the experiment was tried in the bristol Infirmary a few weeks afterwards on a man who had rheumatic affection in the shoulder so severe as to incapacitate him from lifting his hand from his knee the fictitious tractors were brought and applied to the afflicted part one of the physicians to add solemnity to the scene drawing a stopwatch from his pocket to calculate the time exactly, while another, with a pen in his hand, sat down to write the change of symptoms from minute to minute as they occurred. In less than four minutes the man felt so much relieved that he lifted his hand several inches without any pain in the shoulder. An account of these matters was published by Dr. Haygarth in a small volume entitled Of the Imagination as a Cause and Cure of Disorders Exemplified by Fictitious Tractors. "'The exposure was a coup de grace to the system of Mr. Perkins.' "'His friends and patrons, still unwilling to confess that they had been deceived, "'tried the tractors upon sheep, cows and horses, "'alleging that the animals received benefit from the metallic plates, "'but none at all from the wooden ones. "'But they found nobody to believe them. "'The Perkinian institution fell into neglect.' and Perkins made his exit from England, carrying with him about ten thousand pounds to soothe his declining years in the good city of Pennsylvania. Thus was magnetism laughed out of England for a time. In France the revolution left men no leisure for studying it. The Société de l'harmonie of Strasbourg and other great towns lingered for a while, till sterner matters occupying men's attention, they were one after the other abandoned, both by pupils and professors, The system, thus driven from the first two nations of Europe, took refuge among the dreamy philosophers of Germany. There the wonders of the magnetic sleep grew more and more wonderful every day. The patients acquired the gift of prophecy, their vision extended over all the surface of the globe. They could hear and see with their toes and fingers, and read unknown languages, and understand them too, by merely having the book placed on their stomachs. Ignorant peasants, when once entranced by the grand mesmeric fluid, could spout philosophy diviner than plato ever wrote descant upon the mysteries of the mind with more eloquence and truth than the profoundest metaphysicians the world ever saw and solve knotty points of divinity with as much ease as waking men could undo their shoe buckles during the first twelve years of the present century little was heard of animal magnetism in any country of europe even the germans forgot their airy fancies recalled to the knowledge of this everyday world by the roar of napoleon's cannon and the fall or the establishment of kingdoms during this period a cloud of obscurity hung over the science, which was not dispersed until Monsieur Deleuze published in 1813 his Histoire Critique du Magnétisme Animal. This work gave a new impulse to the half-forgotten fancy. Newspapers, pamphlets, and books again waged war upon each other for question of its truth or falsehood, and many eminent men in the profession of medicine recommenced inquiry with an earnest design to discover the truth. The assertions made in the celebrated Treatise of Deleuze are thus summed up. There is a fluid continually escaping from the human body, and forming an atmosphere around us which, as it has no determined current, produces no sensible effects on surrounding individuals. It is, however, capable of being directed by the will, and when so directed, is sent forth in currents with a force corresponding to the energy we possess. Its motion is similar to that of the rays from burning bodies. It possesses different qualities in different individuals. It is capable of a high degree of concentration and exists also in trees. The will of the magnetizer, guided by a motion of the hand several times repeated in the same direction, can fill a tree with this fluid. Most persons when this fluid is poured into them from the body and by the will of the magnetizer, feel a sensation of heat or cold when he passes his hand before them, without even touching them. Some persons, when sufficiently charged with this fluid, fall into a state of somnambulism or magnetic ecstasy, and when in this state, they see the fluid encircling the magnetizer like a halo of light, and issuing in luminous streams from his mouth and nostrils, his head and hands, possessing a very agreeable smell and communicating a particular taste to food and water one would think that these notions were quite enough to be insisted upon by any physician who wished to be considered sane but they form only a small portion of the wondrous things related by monsieur de he further said when magnetism produces somnambulism the person who is in this state acquires a prodigious extension of all his faculties several of his external organs especially those of sight and hearing become inactive but the sensations which depend upon them take place internally Seeing and hearing are carried on by the magnetic fluid, which transmits the impressions immediately and without the intervention of any nerves or organs directly to the brain. Thus the somnambulist, though his eyes and ears are closed, not only sees and hears, but sees and hears much better than he does when awake. In all things he feels the will of the magnetizer, although that will be not expressed. He sees into the interior of his own body, and the most secret organisation of the Bodies of all those who may be put en rapport or in magnetic connection with him. Most commonly, he only sees those parts which are diseased and disordered and intuitively prescribes a remedy for them. He has prophetic visions and sensations which are generally true, but sometimes erroneous. He expresses himself with astonishing eloquence and facility. He is not free from vanity. He becomes a more perfect being of his own accord for a certain time if guided wisely by the magnetizer, but wonders if he is ill-directed. According to Monsieur Deleuze, any person could become a magnetizer and produce these effects by conforming to the following conditions and acting upon the following rules. Forget for a while all your knowledge of physics and metaphysics. Remove from your mind all objections that may occur imagine that it is in your power to take the malady in hand and throw it on one side never reason for six weeks after you have commenced the study have an active desire to do good a firm belief in the power of magnetism and an entire confidence in employing it in short repel all doubts desire success and act with simplicity and attention that is to say be very credulous be very persevering reject all past experience and do not listen to reason and you are a magnetizer after Monsieur Deleuze's own heart having brought yourself into this edifying state remove from the patient all persons who might be troublesome to you keep with you only the necessary witnesses a single person if need be desire them not to occupy themselves in any way with the processes you employ and the effects which result from them but to join with you in the desire of doing good to your patient Arrange yourself so as neither to be too hot nor too cold, and in such a manner that nothing may obstruct the freedom of your motions, and take precautions to prevent interruption during the sitting. Make your patient, then, sit as commodiously as possible, and place yourself opposite to him, on a seat a little more elevated, in such a manner that his knees may be betwixt yours and your feet at the side of his. First request him to resign himself, to think of nothing not to perplex himself by examining the effects which may be produced, to banish all fear, to surrender himself to hope, and not to be disturbed or discouraged if the action of magnetism should cause in him momentary pains. After having collected yourself, take his thumbs between your fingers in such a way that the internal part of your thumbs may be in contact with the internal part of his, and then fix your eyes upon him. You must remain from two to five minutes in this situation, or until you feel an equal heat between your thumbs and his this done you will withdraw your hands removing them to the right and left and at the same time turning them till their internal surface be outwards and you will raise them to the height of the head you will now place them upon the two shoulders and let them remain there about a minute afterwards drawing them gently along the arms to the extremities of the fingers touching very slightly as you go you will renew this pass five or six times always turning your hands, and removing them a little from the body before you lift them. You will then place them above the head, and after holding them there for an instant, lower them, passing them before the face, at the distance of one or two inches, down to the pit of the stomach. There you will stop them two minutes also, putting your thumbs upon the pit of the stomach and the rest of your fingers below the ribs. You will then descend slowly along the body to the knees, or rather, if you can do so without deranging yourself, to the extremity of the feet. You will repeat the same processes several times during the remainder of the sitting. You will also occasionally approach your patient so as to place your hands behind his shoulders, in order to descend slowly along the spine of the back and the thighs, down to the knees or the feet. After the first passes you may dispense with putting your hands upon the head, and make the subsequent passes upon the arms, beginning at the shoulders, and upon the body, beginning at the stomach. Such was the process of magnetizing recommended by Deleuze. That delicate, fanciful, and nervous women, when subjected to it, should have worked themselves into convulsions will be readily believed by the sturdiest opponent of animal magnetism. To sit in a constrained posture, be stared out of countenance by a fellow who enclosed her knees between his, while he made passes upon different parts of her body, was quite enough to throw any weak woman into a fit, especially if she were predisposed to hysteria, And believed in the efficacy of the treatment it should be just as evident that those of stronger minds and healthier bodies should be sent to sleep by the process that these effects have been produced by these means there are thousands of instances to show but are they testimony in favor of animal magnetism do they prove the existence of the magnetic fluid it needs neither magnetism nor ghost from the grave to tell us that silence monotony and long recumbency in one position must produce sleep or that excitement, imitation and a strong imagination acting upon a weak body will bring on convulsions. Monsieur Deleuze's book produced quite a sensation in France. The study was resumed with redoubled vigour. In the following year a journal was established devoted exclusively to the science under the title of Annales du Magnetisme Animal, and shortly afterwards appeared the Bibliothèque du Magnetisme Animal and many others. About the same time, the Abbe Faria, the man of wonders, began to magnetise, and the belief being that he had more of the mesmeric fluid about him, and a stronger will than most men, he was very successful in his treatment. His experiments afford a convincing proof that imagination can operate all, and the supposed fluid none, of the results so confidently claimed as evidence of the new science. He placed his patients in an armchair, Told them to shut their eyes, and then in a loud commanding voice pronounced the single word sleep. He then used no manipulations whatever. He had no baquet or conductor of the fluid, but he nevertheless succeeded in causing sleep in hundreds of patients. He boasted of having in his time produced five thousand somnambulists by this method. It was often necessary to repeat the command three or four times, and if the patient still remained awake, The Abbe got out of the difficulty by dismissing him from the chair, and declaring that he was incapable of being acted upon. And it should be especially remarked that the magnetizers do not lay claim to universal efficacy for their fluid, the strong and the healthy cannot be magnetised, the incredulous cannot be magnetised, those who reason upon cannot be magnetised, those who firmly believe in it can be magnetised, the weak in body can be magnetised, and the weak in mind can be magnetised. And lest, from some cause or other, individuals of the latter classes should resist the magnetic charm, the apostles of the science declare that there are times when even they cannot be acted upon. The presence of one scorner or unbeliever may weaken the potency of the fluid and destroy its efficacy. In Monsieur Deleuze's instructions to a magnetizer, he expressly says, never magnetise before inquisitive persons. Here we conclude the subject as it would serve no good purpose to extend to greater length the history of animal magnetism, especially at a time when many phenomena, the reality of which it is impossible to dispute, are daily occurring to startle and perplex the most learned, impartial, and truth-loving of mankind. Enough, however, has been stated to show that if there be some truth in magnetism, there has been much error, misconception, and exaggeration. Taking its history from the commencement, it can hardly be said to have been without its uses, To quote the words of Bailey in 1784, Magnetism has not been altogether unavailing to the philosophy which condemns it. It is an additional fact to record among the errors of the human mind, and a great experiment on the strength of the imagination. Over that vast inquiry of the influence of mind over matter, an inquiry which the embodied intellect of mankind will never be able to fathom completely, it will at least have thrown a feeble and imperfect light, it will have afforded an additional proof of the strength of the unconquerable will, and the weakness of matter as compared with it. Another illustration of the words of the inspired psalmist, that we that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. End of chapter 7, part 3. Read by Morgan Scorpion.